song and the Holy Spirit mangled in. So it's very nice to see you all. And I was talking with you a few minutes ago. And we said during the three days together, we go through a small journey about the liturgy. I'm not going to explain or to describe, but we explain more than describe. So we'll see the difference between description and explanation. But let me ask this question and I would like to share with you why the Eucharist is so important in our church. Why the focus and the center of worship is the Eucharist. Why? What do you think? Mm-hmm. The Eucharist is the center of our worship. And for a long time the church was only the only way of worship in the church. There is nothing called Bible study, there is nothing called uh, prayer meeting, it is only the Eucharist or the liturgy. What do you think? Because we eat the blood, we eat the body of Christ and we drink his blood. Very good. What else? There's more than enough. <laughs> <laughs> eat each other. Why the summit of our worship is the liturgy? Okay, let us start the journey from the beginning to find out why it is so important. Today only we'll try to answer this question. The story in the whole church, the story of the liturgy, the story of the Bible, is summarized in these five words. First one, at the top, so it's, a lot the, it's quite small. Creation, the five words are easy to know. Creation, Food, plan of salvation, salvation, second coming. If you look to the liturgy, text, if you look to the Bible, we have only these five words. The story starts with the creation, then the food, plan of salvation, salvation, second coming. If you read any paragraph in the liturgy, it is under one of the five titles. Let us start from the beginning. What was the case before the fall? This is what Saint Sophilus of Antioch is describing in a very clear way. Because we have a myth about this sentence. Some people believe that man created immortal, which is not true. Some people said man is created to be mortal. Again, it's not true. What is true is exactly what Saint Sophilus is summarizing in one sentence. He is saying, Adam and Eve were created neither mortal nor immortal. They were created with the potential to become either through obedience or disobedience. Again, Adam and Eve was, were created with the potential to be mortal or immortal through obedience or disobedience. This is the status of the first man. Then after that, things will start to show up. So if after about the creation, we have the potential of both. We are not mortal or immortal, but we have the potential to choose. And this again shows that the free will was from the very first moment. God created man from the beginning with the free will to choose mortality or immortality through obedience or disobedience. Unfortunately, our father and mother Adam and Eve choose mortality to us. So man has chosen this has chosen corruptibility for all of us. 
when we say creation and fall, and the second one, plan of salvation. The plan of salvation, we mean the whole Old Testament. Since the very beginning, since, the, since God covered Adam and Eve with the uh, skin of the goat, he was telling us from now on the story of the plan of salvation will start, which ends up with stage four, salvation. Christ has come. Every single prophet in the Old Testament was saying one message. Wait for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. After the vision has been completed in the life of Christ, we have something very important here. The choice is available once more. The first choice here, you can choose immortal, immortal through obedience or disobedience. We lost this choice and we became all mortal and we choose this for ourselves. But after what Christ did, the whole life of Christ, we had a choice once more. I can choose to be mortal or immortal through obedience or disobedience. And all of us now, waiting for a second coming. There shall be no more death, as it says in Revelation 21 and verse 4. This is the cycle of the Bible and the cycle of the liturgy as well. In, in, in a moment, once more, Creation, fall, plan of salvation, salvation, second coming. The first status of man, he was created, neither mortal nor immortal, but he has the potential to be either of them through obedience or disobedience. We lost through the first Adam. The second Adam came to restore us and to give us a choice once more. I can now choose to be mortal or immortal through obedience or disobedience. This is in brief the story of the whole Bible and the story of the whole liturgy. How we can restore it. Let us go to this one. We have one author of life. God the Father. And the Father has given his son, gave only his only son, the authority also to give life from himself. But now we have a big issue here. We can see that the fallen Adam is disconnected from the source of life. The meaning of this, or mortality for Adam and Eve, is I am disconnected from the source of life. That's why the second Adam came, who is one with the Father in essence, and took flesh and became second Adam. So the problem is, there was a potential to be mortal or immortal, we lost in the first Adam. Second Adam came and gave us the potential once more. I need now to reunite myself with the source of life to be able to live my new immortality, my new choice. So, as the church believes that Christ is one nature out of two nature. So, the Son of God, who, has the, who is the source of life, like the Father, is united into took flesh, as we say in the liturgy, a veggie side, took flesh and became the second Adam. So this is after the incarnation. But still we have the same issue. We need to be connected with the Trinity, not only with the Father, not only with the Son, not only with the Holy Spirit. That's why he's telling us that is the Holy Spirit is not the Father but he is God. 
The son is not the son, the father, but he is God. And it shows us how we are going to be reconnected. If you are connected with the son, if we can connect ourselves with the son of God, we are connected with the Trinitarian life. So we are, again, trying to find out why the potential which was lost in the first Adam, restored in the second Adam, how I can take my portion of it, how I can participate in it. That's why the, the very simple answer to why the Eucharist is so important, there is no other way to be reconnected with the life and the source of life. But here is something very important. If God is the only source of life, before the incarnation, the Son of God, how it was the status of Him? Some people see it in a negative way. Some people see it in, see it in a very wrong way. Why? Some said that before the incarnation, the Son of God was missing something. He was missing the flesh. St. Gil of Nisa is confirmed totally the opposite. The Son is the burden of the Father before the ages, and before the incarnation, He was missing nothing. And after the incarnation, nothing has been added to him. So why, what was the addition of the incarnation? Why he was incarnated? We see it very clearly in the creed. Who for us and for our salvation became man. So he was not in need of it. He was missing nothing. And nothing has been added to him after the incarnation. So now the idea is, I was like to be connected with the source of life. The second Adam... Christ himself took flesh to unite us once more in the Trinity. So the second person of the Holy Trinity came down and took flesh and accepted to unite us with him once more. Till now, the story is out of us. Christ came and took flesh. Christ came and died on the cross. Christ came and risen from death and ascended into the heaven. But he was telling us Till now, we are still separated. Why? He ended up everything here. And I'm just watching. I have seen the cross. I have seen the resurrection. I have seen everything. And even for the disciples themselves, they have seen all these things. Since the day of Pentecost, things started to be different. What is the difference? We'll see it in a moment. So again, this is our belief, the Church. Why? Because it shows us what we are going to commune with in the Eucharist. The Church believes He is one person. A second person of the Holy Trinity is one person, one nature out of two natures. And the, the, the relationship between the two natures is hypostatic union. Again, to tell us that Christ is fully divine. We said in the Creed that Christ has the same essence with the Father, right? He's also having the same essence with us in his human nature. You'll find this in the book by Saint Cyril the Great on the unity of Christ. He has the same nature with the Father, which is the divine nature, and he has the same nature and the same essence with us in his full human nature. Till now, we are trying to find out why the Eucharist is the most important way of worship in the church. Here is what the Lord is teaching us on Sabbath day, just a few hours after the, before the cross. 
were teaching us that the life that flows from the vine to the branches is the same life. And we eat this every day in the third hour. I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you imagine any plant, even not only a vine, you will see that the life that is in the roots of this plant going everywhere in it. This is the only way that these leaves or these fruits will be alive and grow. If Christ, few hours before his death, few hours before he was committing his life to the Father, was telling us, I am the vine, the true vine, and you are the branches. He was telling us, unless that my life is flowing from me as a true vine to each and every branch, you are going to be dead. Again, if you look to this one, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you see the roots and you see the leaves, it's the same life, exactly the same life. And again, this is not a theory of the Eucharist. This is not the theory of what Jesus taught. It is the reality that we are called for it. So again, every one of us has to ask himself now, Whenever I go to the liturgy, whenever I go and have the communion, am I thinking of the life of Christ to flow in my life? If so, it means I'm going every time with a newness of mind, every time with a newness of heart. That's why St. Cyril is praying in his liturgy that he's urging every one of us when we go home, are going home with the purity of your Son, Jesus Christ, of whom we are going to commune. It means my, bat, my daily battle is different. I'm not fighting that I may conquer. I'm fighting to receive and proclaim my victory in Christ. That's why St. Silver, Christ gave his own body for the life of all and makes it the channel through which life flows once more into us. Without the Eucharist, his life not flowing to us. Again, it's not a theory, it's not a theology, it's a reality. St. Basil was saying in one of his letters, we need to focus and contemplate in the actual realities. It's the actual realities that we need to contemplate in them. If I would believe that the life of Christ is going to flow in my life, I will never be bored in the liturgy. I'll never feel it's too long. I'll never feel it's repeated every time we are seeing the same story. It is the five points we share at the beginning. It's creation, fall, plan of salvation, salvation, and waiting for second coming. So you go to the creed to find the same story. Do you believe in one God, God the Father? And we believe he is the Pantocrator. He is the creator. And because he is the creator, he is taking us in a journey, step by step. Till the last statement in the creed, we look for the resurrection of the dead, which is again the second coming. If you focus on these five words, you'll find them in the liturgy, in the creed, and in the Bible. And whenever you are reading any part of the scriptures, find out where I am now. And then see if in this portion of the scripture, the life of Christ is going to flow to me or not. 
if now I'm attending the liturgy, am I coming that the life it makes me the channel through which life flows once more into us, which means without it I am dead. We are not exaggerating. We are not making the doctrine of the church higher than any other church. It is the reality that we have received, and the church lived it at least for 16 centuries without any doubt. Doubts came later after that. Saint Augustine is saying the same thing. Telling us through the Holy Eucharist, the faithful eat and drink the life of Christ. So if you imagine and you believe that I am eating the life of Christ, it means one thing, I am going home with the life of Christ. When St. Paul was telling us in the second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, that the life of Christ may be manifested in your mortal bodies. Again, he was not exaggerating. It's either the life of Christ manifested in your mortal body, or you are dead. There is nothing in between. Which means, my full attention in the liturgy, I am here to receive the life of Christ. I am here to go home with the eternity of Christ in me. We say it at the very end of the day, given to us for salvation, mission of sins, and the eternal life. This is not a normal statement. It's a statement to say, now I am choosing immortality. I lost it in the first Adam, and the second Adam is giving me the power now to be immortal once more. When you say that giving us for salvation and mission of sins, it means again, the power of forgiveness is conveyed to me. I am not a small channel. I am the reality and the manifestation of what has done, what has been done on the cross. Once more, in the liturgy itself, we call it the words of the institution in the liturgy of Saint Basil. He instituted for us this great mystery of goodness, for being determined to give himself up to this for the life of the whole world. Every the most common word in the liturgy and the most common cause and purpose of the working of the liturgy, you are here to receive life, and life eternal, and it's the life of Christ. Not less than that. So, when we say it, we, did, we, did, we don't mention here anything else, that we are here to give himself to this for the life of the whole world. It's very shameful that I come to church and I go home without this life, without the life of Christ, without receiving this power of immortality. That's why St. Ignatius of Antioch is calling the Eucharist the remedy of immortality, which means something will give me a real immortality, a real healing and new power. But there is something very important here. It's always what we can eat in the Eucharist. Every time we come to that, what we can eat. And what Father Shmemen is sharing with us here in his book, Liturgy and Life, he saying, according to the fathers, communion with the word of God precedes the communion with the body and the blood of Christ. Both communions being the two means of our partaking of Christ. We can't lower some churches are trying to say the word of God is above everything. Some other thing the Eucharist is above everything. The church doesn't see this competition. It sees we are in need for both of them because both of them two different kinds of communion. As if he's telling us 
even when it's a breeze, it's because if you are not attending the readings, don't have communion, not because you are late, but because you can't have one communion and ignore the other. Shmuel is saying in the same book that in each liturgy, we hear whatever readings. And this is the same gospel or the Bible you have at home. But he is saying, when you hear in the church, the Holy Spirit is going to convert every reading into a personal revelation. As if he's asking every one of us after the liturgy, what is the personal, personal revelation you receive today from the word of God, from the first communion of the word of God? St. John of Damascus sees the word in a different sense. He's saying the word became flesh, that the flesh might become the word. That again, it is the life of Christ. St. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak the very oracle of God. So my language becomes the language of the world. And my life becomes the life of the world. Not again in theory, it's in reality. As if he's telling us every time you come to church, we are in a process of transformation and conversion. Every time you come to the liturgy and go home, you are a new person. Not in a magical way, but in a mystical way. Not in theory, but in reality. That I'm going home as a different person. Let us read from John chapter 6. Read it more, 6 or 7 verses. I know that you read this verse many times before. But let us focus on each word to see what is going to be conveyed to me. And without it, I am missing life. It's not I'm missing something, I'm missing life itself. From verse 8 it reads, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples claimed, complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Still it's an offense. Still many are rejecting it. Many doesn't believe it. Many trying to make it more of a symbol rather than reality. So what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, still valid. Still people rejecting the real presence of the body and blood of Christ. Then he's adding something very important. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It's shown now the two communities in the next few verses. That the words that he is giving us, we are giving life. The word that he is going to give us in the flesh is giving life. Not only one of them. So some churches, let us focus on the word of God. This is more than enough. No. Christ, he didn't tell us, you have two options. Either you can eat the word, written word, or you can eat the incarnate words of God. It's in us both of them. That's why if you notice the last two Sundays, not yesterday, the two Sundays before, which are the first two Sundays of Atur, the two Sundays before the Advent fast, the church is focusing only on the word of God. To tell us you need to know and to explore and to have your own personal revelation in the written word, to be able to receive the incarnate word of God. It is the only two successive Sundays in the whole year 
that we have the same gospel or the same parable and this is the beginning. We have it only once more at the very end of the Coptic year, but it's not about the parables. It's the signs of the second coming. But it's only once in the whole 52 Sundays of the Coptic year that we have the same parable in two successive Sundays. But there are some of you who don't believe, who just knew from the beginning who they were and who they don't, don't, did not believe, and who would betray him. And he says, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. He's telling you and me again, every liturgy you have been driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every liturgy the Father is offering the Son, Son's life to each and every one of us. So remember at the beginning the priest is holding a cross upside down and he's holding the lamb. Why? There's many contemplations. One of them is it is not me who is offering something. It is the Holy Trinity offering the Son. And you are just ministers of this acts of glory. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with, with him no more. Then Jesus said to the, to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So till today, people are not going to follow anymore. Why? Because we don't believe it. He's telling us from the beginning, it's hard saying, but this is my words. That's why when we say the words of the institution, we are just reciting the same words that Christ was saying. Here, another moment. In a very famous book, available I think on, still in, on print, The Theology of Saint Cyril. And this is a quote from this book. The indwelling of Christ through the participation in the Eucharist possesses a certain excellence of Cyril because of the natural participation. And in a minute we see Saint Cyril saying it's like two pieces of wax fused together. It won't be separated anymore. Which means life of the vine is flowing in me. I am united eternally with him. I became immortal because I am united myself with him. Definitely through repentance. Definitely through real confession and a real life of repentance. It is not a matter of magic. Some people using unfortunately the Eucharist as magic. Do whatever you want and go have communion. You receive nothing, you receive condemnation, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26-29. It establishes, this natural participation obtained by the common link of Christ's life flesh with our bodies. I know that I am mortal, I know that I am dead, but now through this unity, immortality has swallowed up my mortality. Life eternal has swallowed up my own death and my own weaknesses. That's why, again, going to the same gospel, Luke, sorry, John, and chapter 6. Few verses before what we have read. It's showing us there is no other way. That's why we say it's important because it's the reality of what we can see. The reality of what the Lord Himself proclaimed every one of us. Then Jesus, therefore, 
quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? He didn't say sorry, you get me wrong. I'm talking about something symbolic. Um, sorry, I don't mean what you, you got. No, he said, yes, this is what I got. What you got is right, and this is what I mean. He's adding, then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Is it an option? You have no life in you. It means it's not, it's not an option. As the church father used to say, all the church sacraments are mystical, but they are not magic. That's why it means to be preceded with a life of repentance, life of confession, a real sincerity of heart and mind to receive the body and the blood of Christ as receiving a life in my mortality, to convert my mortality into immortality. So Christ saying, you have no life in yourself. Then he continued, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life once more. Again, it's not an option. Again, some churches are trying to say it is one of the options. If it's available, it's not an option. You'll find again that governing world is life and life eternal. That's why we said the whole liturgy is focusing on, for you are the life of us all. He gave himself up to this for the life of the world. It's connecting everywhere with what the Lord himself said. We are not doing something optional, something nice, a blessing on a Sunday. It is a matter of life or no life. Life eternal or mortality. And then he adds, and I will raise him up at the last day. It means there is no resurrection without his life in me. So it's not only about life here, it's life eternal and in between I have in this process of resurrection with him. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Again, the key issue is now I'm up, we are one. And because of this oneness, his life becomes one. Again, one of the church fathers said, because of this oneness, now our destination becomes one. We have one destination. Why? If now we are one body, if now we are one flesh with him, it means wherever he goes, I am with him. That's why when St. Paul said, I was crucified with him, and now it's not me who lives, but Christ lives in me, again, it's not a nice analogy or a nice simulation it was telling us about the reality of those who are united with Christ as one flesh and one body. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Again, the key issue or the key word, live and life. And he's telling us because he had the life of the Father and he's bestowed his life upon us. And he's adding, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever once more. It's about life eternal, who's going to live forever. It is not something temporary anymore. It's not something mortal anymore. Again, let us Remember the beginning. 
sense of peace of aunt. He said, God created Adam and Eve with the potential to be mortal or immortal. So obedience with obedience. First Adam should choose disobedience and mortality. Son of God, who is a source of life, took flesh. Took flesh to offer this life, to offer his flesh, to offer his immortality to us. And in each and every Eucharist, we are uniting ourselves with them. First, I make that choice. I make that choice that I would like to be immortal through obedience, which means a life of repentance and life of uh, confession. Leads to a real unity with the body and blood of Christ. Leads to a real life of Christ heading towards immortality. And he was sensitive against to confirm it to us. As two pieces of wax fused together make one, so he who receives Holy Communion is so united with Christ that he is in Christ and Christ is in him eternally. That's why when we speak about eternal life in the church, we are not talking about a theory, an assumption it might happen in the future. Because we believe in the Eucharist and we practice it every week or every now and then. We see that this is a reality, and this reality we contemplate in it. When we speak about this in the church or pray and mention this, it is not something to fear us anymore. Why? Because we received our immortality in Christ once more. When we speak about the intercession of the saints, we are not talking about a dead people. We are talking about people who are who became immortal through the Eucharist, and we are sharing this immortality with them and we are meeting them in each and every liturgy. Again, let us go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 11. St. Paul is telling us, now you have to show the reality of what you believe, the reality of what you have received in each and every liturgy. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life Again, the key word, the life of Jesus, also may be manifested in our body. I'm not looking to my life anymore. So we imagine the church who has communion after the liturgy, we see few Christ or hundreds of Christ showing the life of Christ in different manifestations. We are not copying each other. Have the life of Saint Abraham, who was very giving. St. John the Short was very humble. Different life, different manifestation because Christ is the eternal Son of God. Not the opposite. People are swearing and divisions and envious. It's not manifestation of the life of Christ at all. For we who live are always, again, the word live. We are not living our life anymore. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I know that I am living in this mortal flesh, but I knew now as well that since my life of repentance and my communion with Christ, I became an immortal once more. I choose my immortality through obedience to him and his will. Let me finish with you with the same idea, Danny. John. 15.5 What is image for your eyes always when you have the communion? 
You can't live without the life of the vine itself. And I'm going home with the life of the vine. It's the same life in the roots, same life at the very top. Even if you're the smallest leaf in this vine, you are holding the full life of the vine itself. And when the church is encouraging us to read this every third hour, in the gospel of the third hour, it tells me, remember, you are not here in the church if you are praying the liturgy, or you are at home, you are a living member, a living branch, because the life of the vine is flowing in you, day and night. You receive it in the Eucharist, but it's not an end. As we spoke maybe before, the meaning of the liturgy after liturgy. We receive here the power and the life of Christ to go and manifest and show the whole world that we are the eternal body of Christ. As one of the church fathers said, the church is always the manifestation of eternity in time. So your presence at work, home, in the church, you are showing that eternity has been revealed in time, but it's extendable because it's eternity. Okay? May the good our Lord Jesus Christ be with you from now and forever. Any comments or questions? Yes, Mark. Yes. So I was just saying that I love how you were saying that the uh, you, you mentioned not just the symbol, but that that uh, that is the actual life of Christ, yes. and that that is manifested. So, how, is it only through contemplation of this life that we can benefit from it, or how how can we benefit, or feel, or know, or bear fruit of this actual life. Just like in the plant, the, the sap, the life goes through and it produces fruits. Yeah. How, is it, how, do I, how do I experience that actuality? Yes. There's something very important about the mysteries in the church or the sacrament in general. Sometimes I, I practice the, the, the sacrament and then I would like to do what is inside it. What does it mean? St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, for every one of us, those who are baptized in Christ has been clothed with Christ. So now I'm wearing Christ. Then I ask myself, how I can wear Christ? How I can, I need to try to wear Christ, which falsifying what I did and what I believed. When Christ is promising me, if you eat my body and drink my blood, you have eternal life. I am abiding in you and you are abiding in me. And then I'm trying to do it. I'll share with you one, one example. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 17, from 15 even, from 15 God promised Abraham to have a child. He was 75 years old. In chapter 16, at the very beginning of the chapter, Sarai said, God constrained me from having a child, which means God was not able to make it. So let us have this option of Hagar. So she did it. The problem is, 
She tried to do what God promised, and it was a failure. We need to believe what God has promised. He's telling us, if you eat my body, we'll have eternal life. Let me make an eternal life. How I can I make it? So there's a big part of it is we, we would like to make our faith. No. Faith, it means you believe in something. Then the next step is how to behave as the one who received it. Now he's telling me, my life is in you. I said, I can't forgive. I can't give. I can't do this. Yes, but now it's not you. It's my life is in you. And totally the opposite. Unfortunately, when we hear about a promise, you know that the church father said every single verse in the Bible is either a promise or a command. The promise, we need to believe it. And the command, we need to do it. The command is saying, me, myself, don't lie. I believe. But does it mean you believe that don't lie? You need to act. To do it. And something very mysteriously, you find it many times, especially in the verse of first Peter and second Peter, that every command there is behind it a promise to uphold it. You can't make the command by yourself. It's always a promise to give me something to enable me to do it. A problem when we make them both separately or react oppositely. I would like to make the promise, I would like to be close with I sent Paul Christians, we have died with Christ. I want to die with Christ. What I can do? You can do nothing. You were buried, you choose his death, you were buried with him in your baptism, and now you are dead. If you don't believe it, you will act as if you are still alive. Then it's my own question. And you try many other times or many other ways to do it, then you can do it. So please, whenever you hear a command or a promise, find out what is my real reaction. Am I saying I believe to the promise and I will do the command or vice versa? And believe whenever you try to make the command like Sarai, you will miss out a lot of things. Okay? Intentional. Yes, Yes. Can you explain that a little bit and why uh, it's a controversial understanding, why, why it's uh, an issue or it's an issue of how we understand the church? Yes. Because the church believes in a very simple sense that Christ has one body. And this body is not limited to time. Yes, Christ took flesh in time. The problem is when we bound him into time. Yeah, Christ was born 2,000 years ago, Masan. But Abraham is part of this body. And all the saints of the Old Testament are part of this body. The problem is when we try to limit the eternal God to our time and to imprison Him. As I said maybe once before, the eternal God came into our time to free us from time and make us eternal. For some people, the eternal God came into our time, and we were able to imprison him in our time, which is not true. What happened to this? Why is the money? Sarah the money. 
the timeless enter into our time to do what? Not to be imprisoned, but to free us from time and to make us once more again. That's why one of the most common church words in the liturgy about eternity. So he's offering something we don't have. So, but once we try to, to commit Christ to a time land, we miss it out. So, what about the people before him? What about the people? Even he did something very good twice. Mentioned, or I will give you two examples. The first one, on Saturday before his crucifixion. He was able to say, she is doing this for my barrier. The woman who bought the uh, very expensive uh, uh, frankincense. So how come that you are able to bring your dead body, was going to die on Friday, to bring it on Saturday? Because I am not bound to your time. Did the same on the Sabbath day. He said, this is my body and this is my blood. But he didn't die yet. And then he people to complain about how come he can give us his body. Because again, your mind is telling you, bound him in your time. He's above your time. He humbly entered into our time. But we can't bound him to our time. He's still the eternal God. He's still able to get out of it. And he's still the creator of the time. The ones we are out of these boundaries of our chronology, we can get it right. Once we bound inside this chronology, we miss it out. Okay? Any other comments or questions? Yes. Yes. words Abuna is saying before having the communion his divinity departed not Malch is, go, is going to depart at the door of my mouth when we read John 6 uh, the flesh does not benefit anyone it's the spirit it is the divinity of Christ through which we can because if we eat only a flesh what, is, what sort of salvation are receiving? It's nothing. And none of the church fathers said these words. This is the most important thing. It's not who said it? It's the whole church father never said we are communing only with the body of Christ. It's the whole, it's the person. That communing with the person, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who was incarnate. And the whole letters you are trying to confirm is one nature out of two nature and we are uniting ourselves with it. What's in Saint Cyril was saying, we, it's a channel through which we receive the life of Christ. Which love of Christ? Now we are celebrating Christ's day. Then this is totally a mess of her heresies. We can't go through it. Any other comments? Um, there's a question that came a little earlier when I was saying, um, if I don't really have prayer life, but I want to start 
to have a life of prayer. How should I start? Yes. Sometimes we are facing ourselves with big questions and it stops us not from answering it, from doing anything. Some people can say, even when it's the liturgy, when I come to liturgy, I feel bored and my mind is wandering right and left. What I can do? Different answer, you have to come. Different answer, you have to come early. And then the liturgy itself will teach you. When you come to liturgy, at one point, we can't understand and comprehend many of the phrases that we use. We feel that we know them, but we don't know the depth of it. But the only way to, to learn how to pray is to pray. You can have a book or books about prayer, and you can hear hundreds of hours about prayer, and then pray it. That's why the church starts in a very simple way. Just call upon the name of Christ. Say anything, any sentence, and add in it, my Lord Jesus Christ. This is all the size of the church. The church is saying three, four words, and then connected them with, my Lord Jesus Christ, help me, my Lord Jesus Christ, do this for me. So the meaning of a prayer is to be connected with God the whole, day, the whole life. If now is giving me, giving me, I'm giving you my life, means I'm connected with him. So start with the Jesus prayer. Start with the Lord's prayer. Start with anywhere. But never stop. And with your spiritual father, he will guide you step by step. Because unfortunately, we feel that many of our spiritual life, I can do it by my own. Which is not true. I can eat the Bible by my own, yes. But be sure that all and every heresy came out of the scriptures. Why? Because someone read it by his own. Not with the church, not with the church. The same thing. If I would like to, live, to know how to pray, start in a very simple way and take the advice of your spiritual father and he will take you step by step. It's not a matter of give me a frame and give me number of things. I will do it and then I will take the books I did it. It's not the way the church used to teach us to pray. Prayer is a connection. Connection with my heavenly father. I'm talking to a real person. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I find that our, our prayers, some of them, like the third hour, as we discussed a few minutes ago, we are talking to the third person, the Holy Trinity, is the Holy Spirit. In some liturgies, we are talking to God the Father. Some other liturgies are talking to God the Son. We are talking to a real person. We are relating and communicating with them. So, anyone, in this position, please contact your father, father of confession. Start very small, and then you'll grow with it. But there's nothing to say, here's the rule. If you're not praying 50 songs every day, you are not praying. There's nothing called that. The church has many stories. Church history. With very, very simple people, praying very simple prayers, and real great things. And also many church fathers who pray very long prayers, and real great things. It's not a matter of how much you pray, is what is the quality of the prayer that you offer to God? Okay. Uh, so, this is a question actually we were talking about this morning. So, can you tell me the difference between what's, uh, what's Eucharistic synergy and regular synergy? 
and what? Uh, Regular synergy yes. and eucharistic synergy. Yes. The same idea. If, if you are not acquainted with the word synergy, is, a synergy is working with God. But God is initiating something and I'm responding with it. He's the regular. Uh, anything in my life is a synergy. Christ is offering his salvation and I'm receiving. Offering his word, his commandments, and I'm obeying them. Offering his promises and I'm a recipient, positively believing in them. So what is the Eucharistic synergy? Again, because the Eucharist is the offering of the Holy Trinity to each and every one of us. So the Father is offering his Son in love, and I'm a personal recipient to it. Through receiving the life of Christ. He's not, I'm not talking about our commandments anymore. It's in full obedience in a life of repentance. But the synergy is I know that I don't deserve it. And he's offering it freely for me. And I'm coming willingly to receive the life of Christ. We offer you all oblations from what is yours and every condition and every condition. What is here, what is yours? And who is offering what to whom? It's by all means. The Holy Trinity are offering the Son. The Son is offering His life. The Father is giving His Son. The Holy Spirit is conveying the life of the Son to me. I'm on a personal level, I'm a recipient actively. So I'm preparing myself by a life of repentance and confession and taking this as a real life of Christ, manifesting it into the world. So when we say Eucharistic synergy, it means I'm actively knowing what I am doing, I'm actively and positively responding to the gift. I can give you now a gift, I can throw it away. Despite, you know, it's very expensive or very precious. So it's your reaction that shows are you synergizing with the gift that's offered to me or not. In a personal level, with each and every person of the world. We'll tell you. So I guess going back to the point of how we react to the gift. So, if we react to the gift, can you maybe just just define it in, in, like, in a way where it's semi-plagiarism or synergy, just so I can... Yes, I will tell you something. If now I will think in a plagiarism way, it means I'm good enough. I'm coming to take it because I deserve it. Because I have done something good, which is not acceptable at all. The second one, if we are thinking of this same blackness, because I am doing something good, God is going to give me something from His side. So His offering is a response to my goodness, not His goodness is offering and I'm recipient. So again, it's my attitude when I'm entering into the holy church to receive the communion. Is it because I deserve it, or because I don't deserve it? I can. The late His Holiness Bob Shimoda used to teach us when we go to the Eucharist, pray this simple. It is not because of my worthiness, it is because of my need. I don't, I'm not worth it, but I need it. This is, it means it's a grace bestowed on me. I don't deserve it, but I'm going to receive it, respect, uh, respect it, and show manifesting the life of Christ when I go home.
Okay. Any other comments or questions? In a very simple way, we are totally restored through, through the Eucharist. Through the two communions, the risen world and the incarnate world of God, I have the option, or I have chosen the option of immortality through obedience to the risen world and through obedience by receiving the life of Christ, manifesting it to each and every one around us. of the heart of those who are being short or, or long, how sincere in what I am saying. And your church history is giving us a lot of history of, of stories. Was people with, even in, if you go to the Lizard Fathers, some of them were praying just one sentence, maybe 700 times or 800 times a day. But he was sincerely in it. His heart and his mind was there. When the church father said about the Jesus prayer, the aim is to reach the prayer of the heart. So my heart beats are calling on his name. And my, my heart was holy and totally sanctified by him. This is the aim. It's not matter how many songs you have prayed or how many hours you did so and so. And definitely it is manifesting the whole life of Christ. So it's not a quantity at all. It's the quality of what I am saying and what I am doing. Any other comments or questions? Today I just will answer one question, which is why the Eucharist is important. Tomorrow we'll take it a little bit further to see that the Eucharist is not only descriptive. People want to know why a boy is making these three cycles and then he's standing at the door of the altar and making this cross of aces. This is a description. And it's needed to be known, but unfortunately, some of us felt this is the end. I know now why I'm going to do this. It is behind this imagination. We need to see tomorrow more of the explanation. Why every single word, it means something in a personal level. Why we need to connect the rubrics, the actions that is gone during the liturgy, with the wording, the prayer of the deacon or the priest or the congregation with the depths of the theological meaning behind to, to receive in the end a full conversion in mind and heart and attitude and in this whole life of Christ is overflowing in my life. <laughs>